a message that I shared last Sunday in the borough service is a message that I believe is appropriate for the whole congregation. It's one that has to do with, well, let me say it like this. There was a study done. It was a career coach who was coaching graduate students and those getting ready to graduate with their undergraduate. And they were heading into the workforce, and he had done a study, a survey, of how they were perceived in the workplace, that generation and previous generations. And so after a lengthy and thorough and scientific statistical study, he posed the question to them. He said, I have the numbers in front of me. I'm going to share with you one word that encapsulates the results. But I want to hear from you. And that word begins with an E. What do you all think that word is? And somebody said, excellent. Another one said, energetic. Other E words came out. Exceptional. He said, I need to share with you the perception in the workplace by large employers for your generation and the ones that preceded it. The word is entitled. That you believe you are entitled to so much. And you know, that study isn't just an indictment on the graduates today. It's really an indictment on our culture and on each of us. Let us pray. Lord, once again, help us not to think that this message is for somebody else down the street, just down from the pew. But help us to look deep inside and let your Spirit do a work in us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable unto you. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, they're called millennials. That line is kind of fuzzy. Those who were born around 1980, from ages 20 to 35, I'm a buster. We can talk about millennials, boomers, all the different categories. But I guess the question I would have is in that window from 20 to 35, What is to blame for that spirit of, I should have it all. I should be entitled to more. Well, it would be easy for some of us to say, well, you know, that younger generation just doesn't get it. I mean, they're they're selfish and, and generationally centric. But what I find is in the casting of blame, there are fingers pointed back at me. Because we have helped to raise this generation. And how do we do that? Well, there have been some decades preceding this one that 
well, we've had some moments of prosperity. I think about looking back not too long ago, the 90s were doing really well, or at least part of the 90s. And the stock market was giving great returns, and the accounts were flush. And during that time, we felt as though we even bought into that resources are unlimited. And then another thing came into play, and I call that kind of the guilt play, uh, payoff, the guilt payoff, and uh, workaholism, and, and some in my generation and the one that preceded me worked so excessively, had an addiction to it to the point where they did not spend time with their children, and so instead of spending time with their children, they appeased their guilt by saying, here are things, I can't be with you, but here is money, I can't be here, I'm giving this to you. Divorce continued to ramp up in statistics and and to appease one's guilt as a parent. I have a father I know that he said, Tim, one of the ways I had to work through it is I just showered my kids with money. I only saw them every other weekend. And so to make them feel better, to make me feel better, I gave them just about everything they have. And so... Can we blame our culture when they say, hey baby, I want it. And I want it all. And I want it right now. I mean, we all really could fall into some of these categories. I think about us being a part of a society that is instantaneous. I mean... I can look at it my own life and be amazed at how on a smartphone you can order a pizza. On a tablet, you can order tickets to a movie. You can purchase a car. You can book tickets on an airline. And you can do it in a split second if you have the right credit card numbers. And instantly it happens. And so what happens is we struggle with something that takes a while. Anything that takes a while. Uh, I think back a couple of weeks ago when we had a, um, a rainstorm and we had some wind, and I know exactly what happened. Poor root system, short root system in a pine tree hit a wire and knocked out our power. I mean, you would have thought we were devastated. I mean, I had people in my house who were wondering if we were going to make it because we didn't have cable or internet service. My teenage children were breaking out in rashes and gasping for air. And what's amazing to me is that we're like that. And I find I'm frustrated when there's a power outage, there is outrage. So how do we move from a mentality of being entitlement people to people of gratitude. How do we cultivate gratitude? Well, I love this story from Scripture, and I know our time is limited, but I love this story from Scripture out of Luke 17, where Jesus is traveling between Galilee and Samaria, and He spots 
some folks in the distance. In fact, more importantly, they spot him. They locate him. Uh, They find him on the radar because they've heard about this gentle healer who with his very words, with his very touch, can bring wholeness. And they had leprosy. A grotesque disease, oozing of the sore, exposure of the nervous endings of one's flesh. It was agonizing as a disease that would eat you away. But more than that, it was a shameful disease. In Leviticus, the law of religion and the law that was civic was that you must warn others. You must say, I am unclean. I am unclean. Stay. Keep the distance. So can you imagine the humiliation that went with this disease? And so their only hope, their prayer, a fervent prayer, is maybe this guy, maybe this one will heal us. And so they call out, Jesus, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. And with that, he engaged them and said, go and show the priest that you have been made clean. And with that, in a very moment, they began to notice that their flesh was healing up, that something was different. There were ten of them, and they shot off into the distance. And can you imagine? Can you imagine not being able to embrace your own children after years and years and holding on to your spouse? That was prohibited. And I imagine some of them did that. But one who had dealt with the disease and its pain and suffering had dealt with the shame and the stigma of the disease, but even more, was considered a half-breed, not a full Jew, a Samaritan, comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and gives him praise and thanks. And Jesus, dumbfounded, says, where's the other nine? Weren't there nine that were healed? But here's this foreigner that has come to give thanks. Now, I don't want to convict some of those others. They may have been so enmeshed in family and reunions that time got away from them. But I would suggest to you that there was probably a, a, a segment of that ten that said, you know what? We suffered long enough. We deserved it. We paid our dues. We worked hard. We had people mock us. This is ours. This is our day. And we're going to live into this day because justice has been done. We got it. And yet that one came back And I guess the question for us as a congregation, as individuals, will we be that one? Will will you be the one who returns to God honor and praise and glory? Will you be the one to stop all of the busyness, especially during these holidays, lift up a true heartfelt worship to the Lord, your creator and sustainer, the one who gave you life? 
Will you give thanks to a God that did something for you that you could never do for yourself? That's grace. Will you be the one that not just gives thanks to God, but shares with those that have had an impact on you, your thankfulness and appreciation? Will you be the one who walks down the hall and says, look, I am grateful that you minister to my children. Thank you. Will you be the one that goes to that Sunday school teacher or that life group teacher and says, you have committed it. You've sacrificed your time, your home, your preparation. Will you be the one that will go back to your parents and say, look, I wasn't the the best I could be, but I want to thank you for believing in me when I was hard to believe in. Will you be that one? Or will you be the one that says, you know, I got it coming to me. I don't have time to stop. I don't have time to say thanks. Will you be the one that simply has that ungrateful mindset? And you know, there are, the, the, the ungrateful mindset really can be encapsulated in that wonderful story that Jesus tells of the loving father. It's been referred to as the prodigal son. And you remember the two sons. And the two sons are conflicted and, and they both struggle in their own ways. And I think they're symptomatic of each of us. We can see our story in theirs. And the one son... Well, his motto was, I want it now. Say that. I want it now. Yes. You know, he understood. He said, Dad, look, I want my inheritance. I know that usually comes after people die, but I want it now. And I want all of it. Now, we don't know what moved the father, what compelled him to give in, to cave to that, but he did. And so he gave. Everything that was due that one. And we know the story goes and squanders it, wasted away, said I had it better in my own house. I had servants there, my father's servants. And he comes back and he's remorseful and he's repentive. But I really find that that's part of our story is that we want it now. I think about people of my own generation who somehow thought they could drive the cars of their parents live in the houses of their parents, the kind of houses when they were in their 20s and 30s and 40s. I want it now. Let's not forget that my parents worked 40 and 45 years. And then we've got an environment that says, you deserve it now. You need this. And, And marketing and consumerism says... You're not really content until you have this and you really need it now. So here's a piece of plastic. Just put it on this. And then there was another fellow in that story, the other brother, the elder brother. And remember what he was struggling with. He said, I deserve more. Say that. I deserve more. I mean, his story is our story. He sees this wayward brother coming home and instead of celebrating, he has his own party. While his dad is saying, steak for everybody, I put a ring on his finger, I put a robe on him, the other son is saying, you know, I paid my dues. I didn't break any laws. When have you thrown me a party? I deserve better. I deserve more. 
What about us? Are we those who feel entitled that somehow we have to have more? What about materially? Do you find yourself looking around thinking that certain things will make you happier? I heard somebody say she walked into her closet and she said, I don't have a thing to wear. She said it was wall to wall. And she said, the other thing is I picked it out. So who's to blame? And we get into this thing about, well, my car's three years or my car's five years old. I need to get... Listen, if you're driving a car, you're in the 3 to 5% of the world population. It's all a matter of perspective. So maybe we're stricken with these feelings of deserving materialistically or relationally. We, you know, we say things like, my husband, I, I mean, I wish he had a better job or I, I, I wish he made more money. I deserve more. And, and we see that there's an exposure of our ungratefulness. I wish he was a spiritual leader. I wish he could fix things better around the house. That's my wife saying that. Uh, or, or, or a husband saying, I wish my wife was more romantically involved. I, I wish uh, that she always wasn't with her friends. I, I wish she would go to work and get a job. Or, or maybe sack. Or circumstantially, we, we expose our ungratefulness when we say, you know, I, I don't really like my job. I don't like my hair. I don't like the fact that my hair is coming out. I don't like the fact that my hair is getting gray. Uh, this is a shade of blonde, by the way. <laughs> and, and it's just not right. And neither are my circumstances. So how do we move from the spirit of entitlement and lacking gratitude to cultivating appreciation for what God has done and fully living into life with gratitude. Well, I want to suggest this. To, to simply decide to turn our blessings to praise. There's a praise song that we've done in the borough. Some of you may know it. And one of the lines from it says, Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn to praise. Now that is a seismic shift away from what we don't have to what we do have. That is a moving of focus from what is wrong in our lives to what is right in our lives. And when we begin to label those, as Tina effectively played on the organ, count your blessings one by one. When we begin to name those blessings and we offer them as a sacrifice of praise, something begins to change within us. It's called gratitude. When we say, Lord, I don't know that I like this body, we can say, Lord, thank you for my health. When we say, you know, Lord, I'm disappointed in my children, we can say, God, thank you for the blessing of children. Help me to be the very best I can be, and let me be a blessing. Thank you. You see, it's when we begin to offer thanks unto the Lord. Because the alternative is, well, pride. I deserve more, therefore I'm not satisfied, and people have to live with me with that mentality. Paul said it well, I have learned to be content 
whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in in any and every situation, and I can do everything through Him who strengthens me. You see, by nature, we are dissatisfied. By nature, in our fallenness, we are complainers. But I've learned that you can train your mind, you can reset your heart, you can soften your heart. And one of the things that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, as a springboard for our gratitude, as a foundation for our thankfulness, is this. We can give thanks to a God that did something we could never do for ourselves. We can give thanks for that which is central to our faith. Jesus Christ coming from heaven, dwelling in our midst in the incarnation, and then willingly giving His life as a sacrifice on the cross. And He took all of my brokenness and all of my sin and all of my transgressions, and there was no way There was no way that I could ever erase the penalty through works or anything else. And I needed a Savior, and there was only one who could do what needed to be done, and that was Jesus Christ on Calvary. And then He overcame death and gave me hope of eternal life. What a wonderful springboard. What a wonderful starting place. To say, if for no other reasons, circumstantially, financially, relationally, I've got a reason to take the blessings that I've been given and offer them as praise unto the Lord. I want you to think a moment about a blessing that you have. Just take a moment. Just yours. Nobody else's. And I want you to offer that unto the Lord. And say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this blessing. Because what just happened when you did that is your mindset has shifted. Away from you. Away from others that may have failed you. Away from a broken world. And you can live joyfully knowing that you have much to give thanks for. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It may be that you want to give thanks, and maybe your recognition is that you have not done that. Maybe you want to give thanks for something that has become new again for you. Jesus looks even more beautiful than He ever did because of the great work He did. And you're living into that, and you're saying, I want that, this altar is open. Today it may be that you simply want to come and say, Lord, I have not turned my blessings to praise. I have been prideful and focused on what is wrong in my life and in the lives of others. And so help me to shift my focus to a more thankful heart. The invitation is before you as we sing our final hymn.